I'm Steve Backshaw, and you're listening to the Aussie Wildlife Show. All right, guys, welcome to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Adrian here, and I'm here, of course, with Steve. G'day, guys. And we're very lucky today to have with us Michael Bayless. Michael, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. And Michael, you are the Communications Manager for Sustainable Population Australia. Say say that ten times over. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I like the acronym SPA. I like a challenge. You're from SPA. It's Michael from SPA. Yeah. So, oh, it's got got windy as soon as we started recording. Uh, That wasn't windy before. This reminds me every time I go camping. The minute I start setting up the tent, the winds just howl and and everything. It's just like I I bring the wind at the most inconvenient times. That's my ex power. Yeah. Well, thanks, Michael. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> a pleasure, yeah. I think. <laughs> a displeasure. Yeah. And, mate, I've got to ask, Sustainable Population Australia, can you, can you talk a little bit about what you guys are about? Yeah. So, firstly, we're not be confused with Sustainable Australia. Oh, they're the other? Which is almost the same name, but they're a political party. And okay. um, we're not a political organisation. We're like an environmental... Um, apolitical charity organisation, you know, like Wilderness Society, <coughs> ACF, etc. Um, shtick is population. So, in terms of a sustainable population, um, we're about, you know, population levels levelling off um, worldwide and in Australia in the gentlest, humanitarian friendly, non coercive manner. So uh, voluntarily? That's possible. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the thing about population sustainability, and everyone goes, oh, one child policy, one child policy in China. And um, the, the, the thing is, as soon as women and girls worldwide are empowered and have access to family planning and have a say of the, the, in regards to the size of their families, birth rates naturally go down towards um you know replacement sustainable levels and populations naturally level off so it's a very benign way to address the issue and in in my opinion a lot more benign than trying to tell everyone to consume a lot less than they are already so um and the 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 key is to uh, to address the issue globally is to provide non-coercive foreign aid that partnerships with local communities in order that people have access to family planning services and women can say this is what I want to do with my life and the size of my family and um, and um, you, you, you know that kind of separation from state and church um, and yeah and, and I, I, I've seen I, I've seen this myself um, in Kenya you go to village a where a UN Millennium Villages project has been and there's access to health and family planning services and there are um, women's co- cooperatives groups and um, the birth rates are very low and you know, the community in the local economy looks a lot more um, vibrant um, and, uh, and people just seem generally happier and better off and you go to Village B um, where the family planning service is like no sex before marriage and then whatever your husband tells you to and uh, <laughs> you know a there are kids everywhere um and b every you know the local economy just looks a little bit more ragged as does the local ecosystem so um 
you know, um, providing worldwide assistance is is uh, y you can see the results. So we so we're talking about education as a big mm. part of the family planning, and is access to birth control a big part of the family planning too? Yeah, yeah. So so access to. Um, choice you know choice in the bodies and contraception and um, um, even you know abortion um, I myself a pro choice in regards to, to abortions and and um, you know access to contraception for women and men um, is essential yeah I remember um, one spa member it's not so much of a problem of having too many kids it's a problem of people enjoying sex too much and kids are a net result of enjoyed sex too <laughs> much so, so you know if it, 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 it's facilitating a way to people to continue to enjoy having sex um, but not resulting in um, a surprise <laughs> down the track and there are millions upon millions of unwanted pregnancies worldwide every year and the world's population is increases by um, 80 million per year and uh, a good proportion of those are unplanned and um, unwanted pregnancies so that's unfortunate that that happens because um, you know the um, um, the parents, particularly the mothers, are not well equipped to be looking after the children. If it's unplanned and a surprise, unwanted, the children are obviously less well off. And um, given that we're 7.5 billion people on the planet and the upper limit, the UN keeps updating it. We're supposed to be levelling off at 9 billion and now apparently we're going to level off at 11 billion. I think in a few years' time it's going to be, oh, actually, it's 12 billion. Um, and and you, you know the the impact, regardless of you know the per capita impact, and of course, as a as a world, we all have to be be gentler with our footsteps. But there's not only how gentle we are with our personal footsteps, but how many footsteps there actually are as we're tramping trampling upon the planet. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? And it's it's a tricky thing because we're talking about people, which is the species that we are, Homo sapiens, and we have this kind of um, connection with people because we are people, our grandmothers, our kids, our, you know, we're loyal towards people, and we're talking about having less people. And it's and I say that because you know I work in the animal industry, and you look at feral animals in the environment, you see animals that need to be culled and um, controlled, and all these kinds of things. But we're the one animal that you know you'd never talk about culling humans, or would you? <laughs> <laughs> I've gone too far. Wow, I've taken it too far. <laughs> and, well, and, and it is that point that it's not just about humans having too many babies. Like what adds to that problem is obviously we're all living a lot longer as well now too how much of uh, how much of a difference does that make it makes a it makes a huge difference uh, I, I mean um, you, you know if you look about 100 and 200 years ago before the advent of modern medicine and antibiotics and uh, all of that um, it made sense to have a lot of children mm. because um, 
many of them wouldn't make it past the ages of two and five and then you know there'd be no industrial system to look after your parents after they'd retired and went infirm so you'd need kids to look after the farm and the parents um, so having uh, you know many children made sense mm. and it's society and the world that the, the situation has just changed so rapidly in terms of the world we live in and the types of society we live in but some of the um, attitudes I, I, I guess in terms of having a family is so important to, to a lot of people you know having a large family a, a large a large number of children is still very important to a lot of people but the reality of the world is because we are living longer we're not you know dying off mm. by the age of five and we've got modern medicine to help us along every time we break our arm or get pneumonia anything like that things that would have killed us off not long before um the, the reality has changed where um having a large family means that there's going to be exponential growth um, because we're not dying quick enough to, mm. to, to kind of balance off the deaths and births. So um, the, the, the only real long-term humane solution to this problem of exponential growth uh, is for people to be empowered that it's perfectly okay to have small families or alternative families that don't include um, your own children, or at least if they do include children, that um, you, you know that includes adopted and foster children um, and non-human children. <laughs> so we're not culling people. Sorry. <laughs> Will you leave it? <laughs> Plus, if I advocated that, I'd lose my job. So. Be, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> Michael, you can't talk about culling people. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Can't talk about eating people either. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's so, that's sorry. <laughs> you kill it, you've got to eat it. That's the... Okay. But so. I, I read recently that not every country in the world's population is rising. Um, there are still countries out there that are not. I, did I read Russia is staying at a level, if not lowering, population? And every time a country does that, every time Japan does that, every time Russia does that, every time Italy, you know, levels off and even decreases, um, a whole world and economists just say, oh no, the country's not going to survive, everybody's going to be less well off, they're going to go into recession, what a basket case. And, um, you know, when you think of the fact that Japan has over a hundred billion people, just about. Um, you know, the, the, and their population has already exceeded the carrying capacity of a country that's a couple of hundred thousand square kilometres, mostly mountainous. You know, going backwards in terms of your population, is, I think, is actually a really good idea. And people panic about that a lot. Like Italy, the, the government of Italy is now offering people land if they have a third child. And this is a country, when you look at the population density, you know, a lot of it's in the red. Like, there are a lot of people in Italy. 
And who's really benefiting from that? Is it somebody, is it the minority of people up the very top that benefit from the higher population? Because I don't think it's the average punter that's waiting in traffic and, you know, uh, competing with, with job the job market with um, the influx of people. Is there, is there a minority that are benefiting that are feeding us this whole, the country needs this? Or is there some truth to it, do you think? The finance system relies on exponential growth and GDP growth because if you're lending money and borrowing money that GDP or, or, or the economy needs to grow in order to repay those debts. Um, if an economy is growing it is a lot more difficult to invest or, or, or borrow money and so it's much more difficult for the larger financial institutions to make their um, multi-billions, none of which are claimed in tax because apparently they're all based on tropical islands, <laughs> the, <laughs> the larger banks. Um, and, y- y- you know, the more people, the more customers you have, the more people are fighting over um, ever-diminishing and casualised jobs and um, the fewer and fewer people who hold the majority of the world's wealth are obviously going to benefit from that, um, particularly in the short term, whilst they're all um, buying getaway land in New Zealand when it all goes to shit. Like, I I think the people on the top (laughs) know that there is... You can't grow forever. Um, We're all sold this lie that you can keep growing so long as you've got labour and capital and that's just not a physical reality we live on a finite planet with a limited carrying capacity Um, and so if we've got an economic model that requires infinite and ever exponential growth um, I mean that can only ever hit a brick wall unless we explore space and start mining asteroids and living on Mars what? Really? <laughs> oh, that's what everyone's saying. I get asked that all the time. Like, can't we all just go to Mars? And firstly, imagine trying to fly 7 billion people to Mars. I mean, you need to build a lot of spaceships and you'd need to fuel or all one, those spaceships. Or one really big one. Or one. <laughs> imagine trying to get that off the surface. <laughs> and, you know, that's a lot of fracking to <laughs> get enough gas to just get that spaceship off the ground. Plus, I mean, would any of us want to live on Mars? I mean, it's... Uh, it's uh, we've seen oh, photos of Mars. Mars. It's very red. <laughs> yeah. no, there's been a few films come out about it. and I wouldn't It doesn't look nice. That's something that always. other people can do. Like other people can live on Mars and then we can live on Earth. And, and that's okay because, you, you know, going into outer space is something that we can do to solve our problem. But that's just something that other people will do you know it's yeah. that, and that's why i think that theory is completely and utterly flawed and yeah um and you know it it would only work if we went okay now we're going to exploit mars and all the asteroids and and um and stop expanding and screwing up earth you know we'd have to have a some kind of system in place where if we're going to go out there and screw all that up 
we're at least going to just stop doing the same thing that we've been doing on Earth. Mm, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? So, yeah. so what would be the, the best happy medium on Earth? Like, it, it would be to level out now population growth, so it would be level, or just slow down the growth? To keep everyone happy, banks. <laughs> <Not. laughs> um, it's difficult for me to give an outcome in where the banks are happy. No. <laughs> I, really don't, I really don't want the banks to be happy. Um, it's, I, I think when people ask me for, you know, when anyone's asked for a solution, and I'm very big on post-growth societies, societies that actually do not grow, and societies that are more, I suppose, self-contained and localised. Um, and when people are asking for solution, I, I think they're kind of asking for a utopia where nothing goes wrong. And I never, and, and I think that's dangerous to say, you know, in a post-growth society, everyone will have their needs met and everyone will be happy and everyone will be egalitarian and, and, and no more problems will ever happen. Of, of course, that, that's, that's not the case. I mean, um, living in a post-growth society, um, I re actually really recommend reading the book Ecotopia. That was a book written in the 1970s where the um, northwest of the USA broke off from the rest of the country to pursue a zero growth society. And a reporter comes in from New York to have a look at the society. And I, I think it's such a really good description of like what the challenges are and, and what difficulties they face and what some of the costs and you know sacrifices they, they touch on population as well um, some of the anxiety of of uh, losing your numbers but what you gain from that like um, tracts of wilderness open where there once was outer suburbia um, regreening regreening land so um, yeah I, I think leveling off of the population I just think is fundamentally necessary if the long-term aim is there to still be a planet around i always imagine there's a sweet spot i don't know if there's been any studies to look at it but i mean like you look at the indigenous people um where we are now we're in paramount land they were you know in their late hills down to anguston um i think they were right up to mount compass way um there would have been two or three thousand people spread throughout here eating you know from the bush and things now obviously now we have you know we have farming agriculture um you know technologies that mean we can have obviously have more people we should have more people than that perhaps but um there's a sweet spot i think where we can still have the benefits of having more people more brains we can have iphones more complexity more novelty but i think there's that spot where you go beyond that and you end up with a lot of depressed people people falling through the cracks um you know or, or, almost like you've gone beyond that that ideal sweet spot that I'm fabricating here. Um, has, have you ever thought about that kind of sweet spot of the ideal number for a society to, for every, you can't say everybody to be happy, but for mm. there to be some kind of a balance where everybody has a spot to a point? Yeah, and, and, I, and I think to say that let's all just go back to being hunter-gatherers or, or nomads, um, a lot of people 
would not only be very depressed living that life but probably wouldn't survive it either because of all the skills you need just to have that kind of uh, lifestyle I, I think what what you're saying is correct we need to be finding this middle ground um, and, and I think um, like the permaculturist David Holmgren he has talked about retrofitting of suburbia so where you still have your, um, your your suburbs they don't expand any more than they are now but what you have is you have a lot of people like a higher density of people like um, um, sharing the space of a house like you don't have these huge houses and um, one and a half people living in them or, or, or what have you you know you have like um, five or six living in them and um, in the front and backyards uh, um, people are growing stuff and the fences come down and, and the, you know there's more of a flow of community and so I, I, I do think a degree of self-sufficiency is pretty key in the future like if there is a, a societal collapse or um, a financial environmental collapse people are still equipped to come together in order to continue making things and connecting with each other and um, um, growing food and, and and all that kind of stuff so it's all, it's about building resilience and I think um, you, you know human society has shown this in the past like Cuba during the economic um, uh, isolation um, people particularly in Havana just got together and um, there's a there's a lot of kind of DIO um, making and building of things so although it wasn't ideal uh, in many ways it wasn't ideal but people managed because they came together and learnt new skills built around what they had um, and you know a lot of informal economy came came together and, 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 and things worked okay maybe not ideal but I, th I think that's um, sort of in that sweet spot that it would be difficult it, it's difficult to, to accomplish in a short amount of time but would more likely um, re result in our long-term survival and that of the planet yeah, I like the sound of that because you say if there was a cataclysm, and I think this, you know, as you know, every civilization before us has ended at some point. Sorry, Steve, the catastrophe route, but um, <laughs> but I mean, right now, like you say, most people that don't grow their own food, they don't have chickens, they don't have the skills to make clothes or whatever. They go to the shops and they buy these things, and mm. if and if um, you know the, the the truck stop bringing that food in from wherever it comes from that's no longer there and you've got a million people in a city with no food or water um, not a great not a great environment whereas what you're talking about people you know working and uh, growing have a little plot of food um, people grow different things then you've got a bit of a plan b mm. um, it's interesting you talked about cuba um, that the way you describe people working together under those conditions is a very rewarding thing. Now, this is a terrible analogy, but I remember being a student and having very little money. Mm. You know, I would pay my rent, I'd buy my train ticket, I would, I shelved my car, my garage, my car, that wasn't used anymore. 
and I I had uh, five dollars left over out of my pay, and that was my five dollars in case I needed it for an emergency. Five dollars, and you know I'm a I'm a 25 year old man. Um, oh, so that was a long that, time ago. Five dollars was, like, yeah. was a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, back then, Steve. Yeah, um, so, and 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 I loved it. The point is, it wasn't horrible. It was fantastic, and mm. um, you know I, I had this appreciation. I had this zest. I mean, one of the best times Tam and I ever had. We, we've been on a fair few holidays, and we broke down. I mean, you've just come back from the Flinders Ranges. We were between mm. the Flinders Ranges and Lake Frome, and we'd broken down. Oh no! And um, we're on a that. back street. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, we fortunately we had a. It was the last day, so we had all that stuff in the car. So we, all right, can't do anything tonight. We spent the night. Um, I think we had one of those packet pasta meals. We had that. Um, I had some had some water in the car. We had our bikes with us, which was great. So we ended up. Anyway, long story short, we lived. Um, but it was just it was great. You know, we we both really just switched on another part of our brains, and it was mm. fantastic to, um, you know, to experience that. So maybe, you know. Uh, we, we've got it really easy and I mean you know there's just a really high suicide rate I mean every four minutes somebody's killing themselves and I wonder whether their life's too easy and that's Is one that of the strange? things Is that a strange of, thing to say of no. modern society like if we are destroying the planet in order to have an abundance of material at, at our fingertips cheaply you would think that the least we could all do is be gr- happy and grateful for that, but we're not, you know, as you said. Like, I think you're right, it's made life too easy, and we're not as hardened as maybe we were. We're certainly not as hardened, mm. and most of us walk around with this feeling of guilt. You know, we just put mm. things in the bin. We see we, we we're bombarded with, especially now, things in the ocean eating plastic. All these baby sea turtles are disappearing, um, uh, and they find these dead ones with plastic in their belly so we we feel guilty um you know we we want a better way we want these we think and i think population is one of the main point source contributors to all the other downstream issues and we seem to you see people on social media get really nasty with each other about whatever the issue may be but i think the population issue i always stand back and go well you're complaining about something that really is a real downstream issue compared to the point source population issue and I I just feel like it's not spoken about enough yeah and you know imagine in alternative universes half a billion of us throwing straws and plastic in the ocean Um, it's not an ideal thing to do it's something we shouldn't be doing but the point is if there were less of us consuming rampantly the way we are now the planet would cope because it it's large enough to be able to absorb the 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 shocks that we'd be delivering to and regenerate um the more and more people that you have on the planet and um the less of a less of a margin of error that you have and and so the and so you're just finding now that, you know, you've got to be more and more careful about the choices, you know, you eat, like animal agriculture, um, responsible for at least 18% of global emissions and um, palm oils affecting um, the orangutans, something chronic, and, you know, even quinoa that's affecting farmers in Bolivia and they're going hungry and now 
you know, coconuts, the next thing. Yeah, and soya beans in the Amazon. Soya beans in the Amazon, beyond meat burgers, new vegan burgers. Apparently the beans that are making them, like the demand's too high and it's causing destruction. So it just reduces the margin of error that we have. And so, you know, you know everyone's got to act more and more like a angel in order to, you know, reduce that impact and um, um, and the, the thing is humans aren't really very good at willingly acting like angels when there are so many temptations out there I mean we've got advertising we've got supermarkets we've got um, you know society's telling us to have more stuff to outdo the Joneses next door and um, and to just have that flooding flooding in front of your face and saying no don't no, no I won't do that I won't do that and even if we did that even if we did that in Australia I mean um, Australia's population increases by the size of um, a new Canberra every year like 360,000 400,000 per year so even if we all do act like angels and um, consume a lot less there's going to come a point where that all just becomes redundant and plus you have to tell everyone else to also yeah. act like angels and we haven't got to that stage yet and why would we I mean when you get um, people such as you know demographers such as Liz Allen on ABC just like Australia can be big and it can have you know three four times as many people as we do now because we're an innovative society and we'll innovate our way out of it this amorphous magic bullet of innovation that's going to save us and I always want to ask well why haven't we done that now what is the secret ingredient that with all our hybrid cars, our solar panel technology, our wind technology, um, our you know water-saving shower technology, why haven't we got to that stage? Why are we at 25 million people and r utterly wrecking our country? I mean, you look at South Australia, only a couple of million people, and. Um, well done, you've almost managed to clear the whole state. <laughs> Don't worry, Victoria's catching yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> it's all a rat race. <laughs> How few of us can clear the most state almost. It's funny you say that. I mean, people often put up... I mean, because there are a few advocates for growth, as, as you mentioned, and people often put up a, um, a map of Australia and say, this is Australia, and they'll put the dots where the major cities are and say, well, that's where the people live look how much room there is but what they're failing to recognize is the impact that people have had on the entire country mm. you know, with agriculture um, land clearing land use change everything else pollution you name it um, even just roads and vehicles constantly traveling through the country um, yeah again i come back to that sweet spot like i think human innovation is a thing and i think we're gonna whether we raise our population or lower it we'll still invent new technologies and substitutes for plastic and ways to clean up the the great islands of plastic in the oceans and i think there's going to be a lot of positive things happen but i think um like i know that more people means more innovation but i think that's that sweet spot again i think if you get over a certain amount i think those people are stifled by the amount of people around them they're um 
they're stressed because they're in traffic or they're they're in like sardines on public transport and uh, they're they're further away from nature and I think all those benefits help towards a person's mindset which ultimately helps a person become innovative and and Mm. philosophical well you know what's going to help innovation it's people being empowered at schools and in university to critically think it's not going to have exponentially more and more people um, who are just taught to read from the same neoliberal rule book um, you know and schools and universities in my opinion are becoming increasingly notorious for um, not equipping um, children and young people to think critically it's all geared around um, um, you, you know getting a future career in key industries that are going to keep the capitalist machine running and you know we didn't need 7.5 billion people to invent the wheel or invent language or even invent capitalism you know we um we managed to innovate things with far less people um and i don't know at the moment it just feels like the only thing we're really innovating is smaller and smaller phones that can do more and more (laughs) I, I, i don't know i just feel um I feel individuals being empowered to critically think uh, um, have more lasting impact than having a larger number of people and hoping one one of one of them is exceptional enough to, to to innovate our way out of the problem. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Elon Musk is a pretty innovative person, and one of his solutions for big cities is travelling under the ground. And, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, some of those big cities in the States, you, you literally, the, the, you know, five lanes of traffic just sitting there. So why, why travelling underground? Is that going to make you can difference? You can just get from A to B really quickly. You're on, like, uh, you've heard of his boring project uh, company that he's put together? And but There's no reason for me to listen to a boring project. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's highly interesting project. project. <laughs> I, I believe um, it's... it's Sorry, listeners, we're um, experiencing a bit of wind nature. Enjoy it. Um, it's yeah. all my foals this week. <laughs> Brought on by overpopulation. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, obviously you've got tunnels on the ground. You can drive through a tunnel. That's, that's one alternative. But he's talking about, I believe your car goes onto some kind of a track and it can do phenomenal speed so you can get from one end of the city to the other in a very short period of time. And I think you'll pay to do this and that'll fund the whole boring under the ground that he's doing. But I mean, mm. but anyway, these, these are solutions that are talked about, but re- we, I wish some, I wish he would make up solutions. I wish he would spend some of his innovation into, like you talked about, family planning, condoms, uh, education, even just painting a vision of what the world could be like with a few less people um, and closer nature and food and um, those kinds of things which I think are, you know, for too long people have said, I like technology, I don't want to go back to being a hunter and gatherer, mm. it doesn't have to be one or the other. I mean, you also talked about, as, as, I, as I also mentioned, having agriculture in your backyards and things, well, with society constantly growing, we're constantly having to knock things down so we can rebuild it to accommodate for more people so we nature doesn't really get a chance to to develop and evolve we you know you, you, 
and that's a huge irony. I mean, um, I I pretty much live in the inner north suburbs of Melbourne, and permaculture is a is a huge thing, and shared communal living is is increasingly popular. At the same time, there's increased renting security, um, whilst the rents go up and up in houses, and then. Um, you know, property developers just pull them down and build prefab apartments and, um, you know, pretty much sell them to people for the same price as you did for a house there five years ago. Um, and so there are all these young people being very excited about the, about the prospect of being able to grow your own food and are increasingly disenfranchised of ever having their own outside land to to put that to practice um, and to me that's quite a bitter irony to, to be to be honest so um, I think that it, it comes to bringing it back to population I mean property developers in the finance sector and big business dictates population policy through the through the channels of um, major government and that's why our um, you, you know if the birth rate and the humanitarian intake in Australia stayed exactly as it was uh, e even if the um, humanitarian intake refugees intake doubled and um, would have a broadly stable population the reason why Australia does grow at the size of Canberra every year is that economically motivated population growth through the um, skilled and economic migration channels is very high. So you, you have like a phenomenon where economic migrations of 250,000 a year and humanitarian intakes um, 10, 15,000 per year. Um, and, you know, talking about migration is obviously a very controversial issue, but the, the thing that I say, particularly to the left, who um, uh, is that even if we do want high population growth in Australia and even if we do want open borders, surely we have to be fighting for a system where the uh, channels of intake are, are, are more equal than they are now. So surely of the population growth, you'd want a greater proportion being humanitarian and um, and and uh, refugee-orientated. Um, and so, you, could, you know, that means that the debate around population policy needs to continue and needs to be championed by the left because ultimately I think if community decides how and why and the rate in which Australia grows and that decision making process is taken away from big business and big government it will result in something that is more in line with the values of, of communities rather than the motivations of profit. And I do like the sound of that. I like the idea of people choosing, you know, 
empowering the people to do it. That's, that's why I um, don't breed. That's why I grow my own food. That was always my goal, and you need way more than a lifetime to do it. Mm. But my goal was to buy a few acres, mm. to try to be as self-sufficient as I can to produce some food, mm. but to also have some bush for habitat. And I think one of the things that you can visualise with less people you can have a bigger block and I know that some people don't want that and that's absolutely fine mm. but you, if you want to have bushland you should be able to have it and mm. with less people there can be areas where people can ethically hunt you can have seasons where it's you know ethical to hunt and those areas can be managed by wildlife um, officers and we, we can have that aspect of, of community and, and, and the environment we can have uh, more areas where uh, I don't know uh, less vehicles maybe you you walk to see your mum who lives over there you can see her house and you walk through the bush to your mum's house that kind of thing um, rather than having to live in this banked up bumper to bumper polluting environment um, but with population as it is we can't all decide that we want more land that would screw Australia completely it would absolutely screw Australia so we so we're not allowed to want bigger blocks we have to want smaller things like you say we have to reduce and in, in that respect subdividing properties and things is a good thing it, that's what the property developers like to tell us the pro problem is at the same time that uh, I mean you know I was looking at the Adelaide CBD and seen all this prefab concrete that they're growing over old heritage pubs now and that Melbourne style of mission grey concrete edifices um, and I mean they're built in record numbers in, in the Melbourne's inner city like there have been um, hundreds and hundreds of skyscrapers all being built and, um, and concrete apartments around Fitzroy and they're all said it, it's big to, to stop suburban sprawl you know otherwise if you want to stop sprawling you have to accept this but places in um, in Melbourne's outer suburbs they're also growing at unprecedented rates so with the population growth that we have inner city infill development is not enough um, you know what we're finding is that urban sprawl and inner city consolidation are both happening at unprecedented rates and then they talk about regionalization and um you know all these empty places away from the city but you know can if melbourne's growing at a hundred thousand per year and um if that or population growth went to Geelong to Bendigo and to um, Ballarat there'd come a point where they'd reach their bursting capacities too and then you just have to go back to growing Melbourne more like for example you, you know go, going in when I went to visit the Flinders and it really strikes home at how marginal most of Australia's land is I went to a um, pub in Craddock, it's pretty much one pub and nothing else and um, Craddock's near the Flinder, Flinders Ranges uh, near Hawker and Melrose and um, I asked them, oh, you thought about expanding, building a few more houses I said, no we can't build any more because we need every square centimetre of land in order to graze sheep because the land is so marginal and here we are, you know, saying all oh, these empty pla pl 
plains of Australia just waiting to be populated. It's arid land. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the reason... arid. But that's what I'm saying. If we're, yeah. if we're wanting to grow, or not, not us, but if there's people out there that are adamant that we need to grow the population of Australia, it must be better to start in those inner suburbs and cram everyone together a bit more than to expand out. It's, Before it's, you expand out, mm. it's got to be a better option. Consolidation. Yeah, there's pros and cons for consolidation and pros and cons for sprawl. Um, obviously, one of the cons with consolidation is you can't grow your own food if you live in a unit and you're a, you're a bit disjunct from nature. Yeah, but, but what I'm saying is if everyone yep. decided, like yep. I have, I've decided I want a bigger property probably one day. Yeah. But if everyone decided that mm. in our population growth, yep. that would be... You'd be out in the in the arid area. And I guess one of the other problems too is people tend to want to live on the best soils. Um, so you're like Mount, Mark, Mount Barker, just up the road, is the fastest growing city in the state. Maybe the country, I'm sure, but definitely in the state. And that's all fantastic soil, and they're, mm. just, they're just, just housing develop after housing development going up, and you know you get beyond that, you, you hit the rain shadow. So I guess uh, that's that's the other thing too. The places where we like to live are the places where we can grow food, and when you get beyond that, you can't. Someone said to me once, "Well, why don't we irrigate the deserts and desanalize uh, deep desanalization, desal? What about what's the word there I'm looking for? Turn yeah. salt water into fresh water." Mm. <laughs> And, and, and get water out to the deserts and then we can have people in there and I'm like well here's my problem against that is the deserts are pretty bloody good how they are and they've evolved over millennia and they've got diverse unique ecosystems and the desert isn't just the desert I mean there's there's a whole different types of ecosystems out there why should we modify it just for us at some point we've got to fit in tune with the environment we've taken care of most of the big predators great you know let's I don't know well we're at the stage of our largest land mammal um, other than humans are going to be the cow you know in a few decades yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think like, I think we could be excited about it I think it could be an amazing thing and I, I don't mean to be culty with it I just think that yeah I mean believe what you want to believe do what you want to do but but less less people and it's your choice to do it and I, I think I, I don't know I'm an optimist because optimists are happier and they live longer they may not be right but who cares you've got the first mm. two things and <laughs> I think that people are, I think logic's going to prevail on this issue I think people are, I think people are I think the more educated a woman is the less children she wants to have mm. I, I think there's naturally a little shift in how many kids people want anyway I think there, there is now. I think there definitely mm. is um, I'm not by nature an optimist but that means I haven't had any children because <laughs> You know, I do not want uh, any of my children living in a world where Mad Max is a documentary. And th that's actually a quote from Will Anderson, so <laughs> I think he's copyrighted that because Will Anderson so has So do you really think children. that your children would live like that? Then? <laughs> there are just so many... Uh, Sorry, Steve. He did tell me not to go here. Well, but... I just asked another question, didn't I? So I put myself in He's it. asked for it now. I, I just think if there's any... I mean, people have had children when... In all sorts of bizarre circumstances throughout history, you know, people have had children when it's unlikely they're going to make past age of five in war-torn countries during the Black Plague. And, and people are very good... The Biological imperative means people generally have children, no matter how shit the the, the world around them yep. is. But we are 
no matter how optimistic we are, there is a possibility, um, and I think there'll be differences in us on, of, of the degree of that probability, but there may not be a planet somewhere down the track, or, or at least um, not a planet that's functional for the number of people on the planet currently. And I mean, I, I just ask myself a question, do I really want to bring a child up with that possibility? And the answer to me was just no. Um, what I'd rather do is to help other people have children and, and you know, That's with disgusting. friends and family <laughs> <laughs> to make sure they've got the best possible life. Because I always think it takes a village to raise a child and yeah. I don't need my own. Someone said to me once, I've had several, not me, but my mm. friends, I've had, I've, had, I've had two people say to me, yeah, we've got several kids, but we're bringing them up to be greeny, so they're going to make the world a better place. But I teach other people's kids. That's mm. what I do. And you, like you say, you you don't have to have kids to bring up greenies. You can influence the people around you. You can influence the parents around you. You can influence the kids around you. Um, you can write a book, make a poster, create a meme. You could probably influence your own children a lot more because you can threaten them. Well, you say, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say less, and I'm going to agree with you because when do your kids ever listen to you? <laughs> no, so yeah, they can go either way, kids. Dad's a greenie. Fuck the environment. <laughs> Did it Five. Again. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, everybody. How many kids listen to this sorry. podcast? <laughs> um, I always maintain that kids are really great at rebelling <coughs> against the best part of their parents and uh, taking on all the neuroses of their parents. So, you, you know, they won't take up the greenishness, but they'll absorb all their anxieties. And so I'd hate the thought of my kids rebelling <laughs> <laughs> against my post-growth message. <laughs> message but um uh, but taking on all my pessimism about the way the planet's going to be poor um i've got to ask you mate what things. got you into just being interested in this subject was there was there a particular point in your life where you just looked around and went no nah, this is what i want to do this is what i want to i want to try and uh, make a difference in this area was did it, do you remember the, the day that you you thought that or was it a how did it happen for you, mate? It happened when I was in, in Kenya. I mean, I think when I was a kid, I just looked at the population graphs and just went, oh, well, I didn't say shit then. I said, oh, um, bollocks. Silly. Poo-poo. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and then I went to Kenya and um, I, I had a guide. He was actually a priest from the Catholic Church. Um and he showed me the waterholes that were all drying out and then we went up a hill and looked at the Kakamega forest in western Kenya and just just sh was shrinking exponentially every year um, and you could actually from a hill see it just circled um, the perimeter actually circled by local people like just chopping it down for wood because that's what they needed um, just to you know keep their stoves burning and he says we've got to do all that we can to, to make sure this beautiful nature and God's image doesn't get destroyed. And, you know, this is an area in which um, population was increasing so rapidly and family planning was terrible, contraception was terrible, you know, 30% of the population had um, HIV in, in one particular area. And I'm just like, why, as a Catholic, won't you introduce family planning 
um, and in, encourage people to have lower families and um, um, you know have protection whilst having sex and he said well it's in God's will that we have to have as many children as possible and I thought well that's a bit of a catch-22 isn't it because you can't just tell you can't tell the people oh just lower your per capita consumption because they're already um, um, at sustenance level and so I went oh this is happening in Kenya thank goodness this isn't happening in Australia and then I went back to Perth and I think the first concrete apartment in my suburb had just been erected um, already crumbling already staining you know because it was just made of the cheapest materials and just what's going on here and Mark O'Connor who wrote a book Overloading Australia um, long-term member of SPA uh, he actually spoke at my old high school and so I went to see him talk and it was just since then my, my shtick has been population you know after that talk it, that, that's just what I've been doing and that's despite the fact I could just make myself a whole my life a whole lot easier um, telling people to you know stop digging up soul and to stop fracking and switch to solar you know <laughs> for some reason I it, it just you know populations uh, if 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 you're not talking about that, um, everything's kind of patchwork, short, medium-term solutions. Band-aid, isn't it? Yeah, really band-aid solutions. Band yeah, yeah, that was a metaphor. I, I, I see all these people arguing about these little issues about roads and traffic and whatever it is, and it's just you, I don't engage. I just stand back and go, it's population. It's all it is. No, no, it isn't. It's just that they need to build more infrastructure it's the at, at no yeah. cost to us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a solution just just the amorphous them yeah. just need need to build more roads but just not in my street yeah you know they need to build more apartments but not but but not in my suburb yeah. you know yeah, yeah we're, i we're agree perfect we solved the problem thanks for <laughs> keep watching populating. <laughs> keep populating just somewhere else somewhere we'll else. deal with it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true people are just so seem so disjunct from that um and, I, and look, and I feel horrible because I've got, lot, and sure we all do, friends with many kids, and, and I love those kids. I love my friends mm. and all that, you know. Um, but still, this message, I, I put this message out to kids. I never used to. Mm. And then I saw David Attenborough. I mentioned that we had um, mm. as you, your friend Jimmy Ward on the show, as you caught up with on Sunday. Um, and he, and we were saying to him, weren't we? Like, he was talking at the World Environment Fair. Now, we go to the World Environment Fair and um, we talk about the environment and animals and conservation and wildlife sometimes this show talks about wildlife um so <laughs> you just said the word so there, there we go it's totally relevant but i mean everything we're talking about is absolutely relevant to wildlife and i hope the listeners understand and i'm sure the smart ones do but but i was, I was saying to jimmy it's so great to see him speaking at this event it's the first time i'd ever seen anybody mm. talking about population i mean we had you know recycling and different things which is great mm. absolutely great and I said to him, it was fantastic that he was there. And the only other person that I'd heard talking about it, I think Dick Smith recently has been, but um, was David Attenborough on a couple, couple of the mm. end of his, his um, series on mammals or a few of his series. He, he talks about, it, yeah. He, yeah, he says a nice poetic kind of um, summary and mentions 
um, our population, which he manages to get that in there. So I, I say it to kids. We talk about, well, I'll show kids an animal. So this animal's extinct in South Australia. A bit mm. of bad news. And we'll talk about, well, why? You know, introduce predators. And the more people we have, the less habitat these animals mm. have. And we talk about habitat and that's a home. And, um, and, it, and it seems so obvious. And joining the dots together is pretty simple. But um, meanwhile, people are like... The, like, like uh, uh, remember the, the royal prince that just had his third child and we're all celebrating this person that nobody that oh, I know has ever met he's just mm. had his third child and everybody's excited and nobody's mentioning human population well ironically I think it's Prince William That's who's the one. had three children and who <laughs> simultaneously talks about um, overpopulation as an issue uh, interesting which, which, which is very interesting and I suppose that's the other reason why I don't have children I don't want to look like a hypocrite, yeah, hypocrite. <laughs> I don't want to be a hypocrite like yeah. Prince William <laughs> but, uh, but Prince William isn't going to need another house to be built for his kids and, <laughs> and stuff like that so we're talking about someone who possibly can have three kids well, when I'm not having any you've not got any you've got one so he can have your kid well, no, I'm just saying, like, in the world, even out, if you had someone who was who uh, poor in the world that started having three, four, five kids, that's... Well, arguably, somebody in Bangladesh having eight children is I'm probably not going to use now, as be many... English guy. Yeah, they're probably not going to use as many... The eight-child eight family in Bangladesh probably won't use as many resources as Prince William's kid. That's, that's true. A, a lot of people, uh, environmentalists, um, my, my fellows on the left, will say that it's not a population issue, um, it's an equality issue, you know, where places like Australia are consuming, if everyone consumed like Australia, would be consuming four and a half planets, whereas in India it's 0 0.8. So it's a matter of, um, you, you know, those in the global north consuming less um, which makes sense and I agree to a point but then I say it's not a population issue it's that I say it's that and a population issue so you know in the global south leveling off um, of population whilst indeed increasing per capita consumption to get people out of poverty is very important whereas for us it's a matter of leveling our population and consuming less so it's <coughs> there's another way angle of looking at that problem <coughs> whilst you know also agreeing with other people like it, it, it is a disparity of global wealth is a huge issue but that doesn't take away from the fact that population is also an issue and I think people like to get into dichotomies like it's one or the other why can't it be both? Why can't they both be issues? Why can't, why can't, why can't they, they both? Why yeah. can't we haven't holistically um, addressed that? Yeah. And but it's that it's that thing like when you when you just said, and I'm just putting this out there, like when you just said about um, Prince William having three kids and that that's cool. And you said I don't want to be a hypocrite like Prince William. But equally, we don't know. That Prince William and the royal family haven't got the biggest veggie patch <laughs> in the fucking well <laughs> in the their back garden and they don't actually go to any supermarket to buy food they actually we don't know you know so it's yeah and, and I suspect because Prince Charles is a bit of a um, 
I, I think he's a bit of a healthy eating Mm. Pick from the garden type guy. Oh, look, I suspect I hope, they I probably hope, have. I hope they do. I, I, I hope they do. And they should still have two children. I think two children to balance out the population, one or two, they sh- they still shouldn't ra- raise the population. I think it should be a bit of both. I don't Wasn't it 2.8? Was, was the figure when James was here? Was that? I think it was 2.8. Globally, yeah, although there are. Disparities so different between areas countries. Different. So I think in Australia it's 2.1. So, yeah. So, yet third child has to be a tenth of a child. A tenth of a child. Yeah, so one leg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be good like, if those people, like like you say, William's out there and he says he's an environmentalist and all that, he's had three kids, you'd sort of like him to come out and go, but we're doing these things that I'm just sort of saying. We're not, you know, we're, we're trying to live as well as we can for the environment and educate people as to what they're doing if they are doing mm. it. that'd be good but yeah, it'd be better would. if he just come out and said I'm having two and here's why and we should all have less children I, I just think we need to have um, oh this conversation's great but I'd love it if somebody somebody with a big name that just came in like David Attenborough I guess he's doing it but the idea needs to be sexed up more doesn't it it just needs to be mm. you know it's just, it just yeah, flies know, under yeah, the yeah, radar so I'd, much yeah yeah I don't know, like when you say like it would, he should only have two children, that's so on a par I should have two children then. Well, I no, I, I think, don't think it's I a think, terrible I don't thing. think I'm saying he should have two children though. I don't want to word it like that. I would I think that we should be aware of our impact and and choose to have less children. I think that's the way I'd like to word it, if we have that choice. And, and be aware that what we choose influences those around us because people want what other people have got normally. Not everybody wants kids. Um, some people want the person's lifestyle that doesn't have kids. That's sometimes very appealing to people with kids. Um, yeah, the choice, I guess. Mm. I don't know. I want to be interesting to do a survey now and have done one 50 years ago and find out. Like, because back 50 years ago, you'd probably ask a young couple or maybe a female, mm. and they would say, oh, I would love to have X amount of kids, thanks, mm. And, mm. And, a, and, a, and a quarter acre block. It'd be interesting to hear what people would say now, whether you'd find a lot less people want kids now. I don't know. I, 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 I that, suspect they do. That, that is true. Like, um, yeah, that, that is a thing that has been surveyed, and generally people want smaller families later in life and it's a different lifestyle now isn't it that the number of people choosing child free families is growing so it's it's almost like that the attitudes of the world are generally on track in to to stabilize our population it just needs to be facilitated um so uh, and and i and i think you know a child-free family setup is seen as a completely valid way to be. It, it, it shouldn't be seen as society as something that's lacking, or there should be fine ways that you know children aren't just raised in their home by mum and dad, and and here are the fences, and and no one else is allowed, and. Um, to, to, to enter that, that sphere like um, and I've said it before it takes a village to raise a child and I just think if everyone's involved maybe even peripherally in being an important part of the lives of fewer children well then we're kind of looking at an enrichment rather than um, 
you know, a matter of numbers and quantities. So we have fewer kids, but more people are involved in their raising them. So hopefully more well-rounded individuals result from that and less mental health issues, yeah. which I think comes from social isolation. Yeah, less suicide. Yeah. Less, less drug use. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting one. And it's a tricky one to talk about, mate. I admire your... Um, your work that you do on this subject because it is it is tricky i mean i i almost feel guilty talking about it and yet i feel so passionate about it too <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, i think everyone's yeah. the same yeah absolutely. yeah, yeah. yeah. And just breaking down the walls and things like this interview are, i think a key to that the more times this can just be said and people can go um hopefully they're not bad people. Well, people get <laughs> talking they, about population. They triggered, don't they? They think, oh, they, what they want to kill babies, or mm. um, they're anti-immigration. And, and no, there's no racism in this. In this, I mean, I think you do get the, a lot of racists do get lumped in there, don't they? That, uh, oh, of, of, of course, and yeah, 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 you know, like the Hansonites and the ultra conservatives take the population bad wagon when you know really their motivation is to white Australia or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. or not what that they've saying. got a bugbear with certain races I, I don't I'm culturally neutral I don't give a shit about yeah. human culture yes yeah, um, the Cultures, diversity yeah. for me <laughs> yeah. is that there's abundance of flora and fauna you, you, you know in, yeah. um, and and that there's a diversity of species that we're all all interacting with each other on some level, maybe not all pleasantly, because yeah. you know, life's not pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. not always. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a diversity of species that we're losing. Um, it's as well. Exactly. Yeah. So, on this property behind us here, as we're talking about, there's a hundred species of native plant. Um, hundred and three. Hundred and three. Yes, found another one the other, the other day. <laughs> so, Fantastic. And growing, and you've got your fungi, and your, uh, your soil microorganisms, your, your reptiles, your amphibians, your birds, your wind. There's a lot of wind. Here, this property, it's yeah, organic. Sorry. It's organic. <laughs> that's right. It's because um, vegans are eating all the soybeans and it creates more meat. I'm joking. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, that's why it's all my fault. Yeah, I'm eating all the soybeans. Wow. Yeah. Now, we do have a, a little bit of a front moving in, so we might have to wrap this thing up. Hopefully, that wasn't too hard to listen to, guys, uh, with the wind. Michael, did, is there anything that you'd like to add, mate? No, well thank you for having me over, both of you. Uh, thank you. Thank you.